0: If you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible on the right-hand side and left-hand side under the lamps. You could raise your hand up, and someone will bring you a Bible. Um, it's important to have a Bible in front of you. And I don't know, there's, there's some of you that, that this, what I'm about to say, you could really care less about. But there's some of you, you're like, okay, amen. Like, I've been teaching out of the NIV Bible for a lot of years, and I like the NIV. But I think we're going to start trans- transitioning into ESV version and some of you, look, you care, right? Some people care, some people don't care. And so we're going to start transition. So what I'm saying is if there's anybody here that wants to buy us like 60 ESV Bibles, then we'll accept that donation. I'm just so... Anyway, so you may begin to start seeing here in the next couple weeks ESV showing up and, and it's just a great translation. So anyways, as, as we read this passage this week and as I've been studying this passage this week, Uh, This is such a good passage. I look at this and I say, thank you, God, for the hope that you give me, Aaron Havens. And and as this parable is is told, as this story is not this parable, but as this story unfolds right here, and Luke teaches us, and and Jesus is speaking, we're looking at the life of Jesus, and as he's marching towards Jerusalem, he has purpose in life, and as he has purpose in life, he's resolute on Jerusalem, he's focused on Jerusalem, he knows why he's going to Jerusalem, yet he still has the time to hang out with his disciples, talk to a, a blind man. And to do some incredible ministry on his way to Jerusalem. His life was about ministry. Church, as we sit here today, and as we read through this, my prayer is that God will encourage you personally. That the gospel message will come alive in in your heart and in your mind today as we go through this passage. And so, let's look at it. Luke chapter 18 Verse 31, and I want to look at this first, the first just few verses here. Verse 31 in chapter 18 says, Jesus took the twelve aside and told them, we are going up to Jerusalem. It's about a 17 mile difference from where they're at in Jericho and going up to Jerusalem. And everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. Verse 34, the disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. Well, to this point, in, in the life of Jesus and in the ministry here, the disciples, they've been walking with him for three years. Like, they've done life with Jesus. They've probably rode camels together. Uh, they probably played spike ball because I know they had that then too. They, they they prayed. They talked. They saw miracles. They did. I mean, they did life with Jesus for three years up to this point. And what they don't know, and Jesus is trying to reveal to them that what we now call the Passion Week, the week where Jesus goes to Jerusalem and is crucified, that's next week, as Jesus is talking, like it is coming. And Jesus is trying to give them not-so-subtle hints as to what's about to happen to him in Jerusalem. And this isn't the first time. If you remember, as we've been looking through the book of Luke, Jesus has done this in five separate occasions. In just the book of Luke that we've been studying, Jesus has looked at his disciples, and he said, what's going to happen in Jerusalem? But again, right here, they don't get it. They they don't understand why don't they understand their minds had no room for a suffering dying Messiah. The idea of Jesus dying was theologically, okay, beyond what they could understand that death could come before the kingdom reign was beyond their understanding. And so as Jesus is talking to them and he's given them not so subtle warning, like, Hey, next week, People are going to spit on me, slap me, mock me, and they're going to crucify me. I'm going to die. But then, look what's going to happen. As Jesus is telling them specifically what's going on, they're not understanding. Because it's outside their realm of understanding. This isn't how it was supposed to be. This is not what I've been taught. This is the, the, who knows what they're thinking, but they don't get it. How many of you have, how many of you have ever had coaches in your life? Okay. Okay. We all have coaches in, in, in some realms of life. Coaches, what, what's the role of, of a coach? Spur us on. For Aaron Havens, it was to kick me in the rear, <laughs> get me going, pull the potential out of me, coach me along, get me going, teach me. I've had coaches teach me along the way. I mean, I've, I've been reading a book lately called Simple Church, and it's, and it's talking about this great tennis player, and this great tennis player, he even has a coach one of the greatest tennis players in the world, and he even has a coach. Like, we all need a coach along the way, you no, know, regardless of what level we're at. And Jesus is here, and, and he's coaching them, he's teaching them, he's trying to help them to understand, and they're just not getting it. Do we do this, church? Do we do, do, we do this? Like, we have the scripture, it's, it's right there. We read it, but sometimes we just don't understand it. One of the reasons they weren't getting it at this time is, well, their minds were kind of clouded to it. And God hadn't released the Holy Spirit there to reveal to them the truth, what was going to happen to them. See, as we read scripture, we need what they needed. We need God to reveal his truth to us. As God begins to speak to us and reveal himself to us, he's given us the Holy Spirit to reveal himself to us. Ephesians 118, famous song written after this verse. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I want to see Jesus. So Ephesians 1.18. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are your riches and his glorious inheritance in the saints? Like without the Holy Spirit in our life teaching us and guiding us, it's just a bunch of mumble jumble. And as Christians... When we surrender our life to Jesus Christ, God imparts, he gives us himself, he gives us the Holy Spirit to guide us, to teach us, to coach us. And as we read scripture and as we pray and God begins to reveal things to us, we have Jesus and the Holy Spirit teaching us what he's saying. And this is a beautiful thing, things that are confusing to the world at large because it's a foreign language to read the Bible and to hear about Jesus, he reveals to us as his sons and daughters. And I'm so thankful for that. And as we look at verse 31, Jesus looks at his 12 disciples and he told them, and he said, we are going up. We, I like that. He doesn't say I. He says we, we are going up. It's not just me. It's not just you. Everyone, we're going up to Jerusalem and everything that's been written about from the prophets to the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He's going to be delivered. He's going to be slapped. He's going to be killed, but he's going to rise again. And the disciples weren't understanding this. What's, I don't know, I would say interesting about this is as he's talking to the disciples right there, everybody attached with Jesus that day would soon suffer. Jesus himself, I mean, yeah, Jesus, he's about to suffer the ultimate, Right? He's about to go to Jerusalem and die. He's about to suffer. But everyone that's attached with Jesus while he's talking is about to suffer. One of the disciples is hung upside down on a cross years later. One of the disciples, John, lived the longest. He lived in exile and prison, and he was on the island of Patmos. Like, okay, what about Paul who comes later on, a huge uh, huge man uh, of, of the early church? What happened to him? Well, in 65, 64, under Nero, he had his head cut off on the Roman way outside Rome. Like, persecution and hard times is coming. And Jesus is looking at his disciples. He's saying, we are about to go to Jerusalem. I am going to go through a lot. But you know what, church? We all are. We're all going to go through it. As we open up scripture, we look at 2 Timothy 3.12. It says this, anyone who wants to live a godly life will, for Jesus will be persecuted. Now, this is a bold statement I'm about to say right here. It's God's will that you would suffer. It's God's will that you would suffer. Jesus suffered. All his disciples suffered. In fact, if you, if you want to read some incredible things, read Hebrews chapter 11. We like to call it the hall of faith. These great uh, men and women in scripture that they suffered and, and God did incredible things to them. Hebrews chapter 11. It's a great chapter to read. When you're suffering, call out to Jesus. He hears you and he cares for you. Jesus is about to go into Jerusalem. He's looking at his disciples. He's giving them a warning. He's saying, I'm going to suffer. You're going to suffer. But as you're suffering, call out to me. Because I am going to do incredible things through your suffering. Think back on your life. Just, if anyone's lived a perfect life, then this won't make any sense to you. But maybe if you've ever suffered at all, suffering in my life has brought me closer to God than I've ever been. I can think back on some of the darkest, hardest moments of my life. And those are the moments that God began to just, I don't know, it was kind of like the peripheral things just didn't matter anymore. You know, and God just focuses in what matters in life when we're going through major suffering or major loss. And Jesus knows this. I think back to some hard times in my life. And how did I make it through? It's because God gave me his peace. He said, it's going to be okay. I'm in control of this. Church, good news. As followers of Christ, we will suffer. And when we suffer, let's stop asking why and start asking how do you want to use this in my life? If suffering is something that God even uses in our life to grow us closer to him, then let's stop asking, why are we suffering? We're promised we will suffer as Christians in this life. So when we are suffering, let's start asking God, not why, but how are you going to use this in my life? Like, how am I going to get closer to you in this? How am I going to show the world at large how much you love me and them through this suffering? And I count that a great honor that the world could even look at my life and say, through the suffering of Aaron Havens, I now know the love of Jesus Christ even more. Like we say this as Christians, and sometimes we even sing it in here, we raise our hands and we say, God, use me. God, use me. But we made it only on the good side of things. Like, God, use me as long as it's convenient, as long as it's good, like, use me, I'm here. But how many of you would sign up and say, God, use me and I praise you, you're holy, you're awesome, you're everything. Hang me on a cross upside down and cut my head off if that's what your will is. Church, I say sign me up for every aspect of what Jesus has for my life. Do you? And that may even mean suffering. So as the disciples are there and Jesus is talking to them, they're they're kind of blinded. They don't understand what's about to happen in Jerusalem. Jesus is giving us a warning through this text. He's giving them a warning through this text, and they're not understanding it. And and then we get to verse 35. I really enjoyed these last few verses of of Luke 18. Look at verse 35. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. (laughs) This is the last stage before Jesus enters Jerusalem. And I, as we look at this story, this really is the last stage. He's about to enter Jerusalem. This is the last healing that's about to happen. And he comes across this man, and it's Bartimaeus. He comes across, and this is his last stage. Jesus is going on, but look at in verse 36. When he heard the crowd, Bartimaeus, the blind man, when he heard the crowd going by, he asked, What was happening? They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Now, I don't know how much time was in between that period and the next, the next, the he right there in your Bible, but how much time would go by in your mind? Jesus of Nazareth is passing by and then right away in verse 38, he goes, he called out. How much time do you think was in between him finding out Jesus is about to pass by and he called out? I mean, it doesn't, doesn't really say. But as I spent time just in that moment right there this week, thinking about it, it started coming alive in me. The love of God started to come alive in me as I spent time in that awkward moment right there, finding out Jesus was about to come by. He hasn't yet, but he's about to. I wonder if you're blind from birth. I wonder. If you're blind from birth, and you have heard from friends that there's this man, and he heals, he's done healing, he's risen people from the dead, like the miracles that he's performed, you're wondering if they're true, but they've got to be true, because there's so many people talking about it, I mean, it's got to be true. So, I wonder if you're Bartimaeus and you're sitting there right now and you hear that man that you've been hearing about is about to walk by. What are you going to do? What's your reaction going to be? Well, as I put myself down in that moment and in that moment, this is what was going through my mind I've got to do something. Like, my heart is pounding. I know this is my opportunity. I haven't seen, and this man I've heard can heal and give sight and can, and can do these miracles is about to come through. And I, if I'm sitting there and I'm the blind man, I'm thinking, I've got to do something. Now, the closest thing that I can relate this to in my life was Kirk Cameron. Anyone know Kirk Cameron, that actor? What, what was he in? Growing, pain? Growing Pains. So I was in like sixth grade, maybe seventh grade. I mean, Growing Pains was, that was awesome. You know, Kirk Cameron had, like, cool perm, you know. I don't know if you can remember back. But I, but I was up skiing in, in Breckenridge with my cousins, and, and, you know, the day before, I found out Kirk Cameron's going to be skiing up there. I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool, you know, big place, I'm not really sure, you know. I'm, I'm still kind of keeping my eye open, though, because, you know, he's a star, like Kirk Cameron, you know. Well, it just so happened that I saw Kirk Cameron. Like, he, was, he started going down a slope right as I was coming up, and I was about to get off. I'm like, I want to catch this guy. And so, I, you know, I get off. I'm like, no way. I'm like, who's in this little junior high kid. I'm just following the permy hair, right? And I, I finally, I, he like stops, and I do that swoosh thing just to show him how awesome I am at skiing. And he kind of looks at me and lifts his glasses up, and I'm like, it's Kirk Cameron. Like, what do I say? <laughs> I was like I like your hair. That's what I, I'm so nervous like cotton mouth like Hollywood star like I like your hair. Have you ever said something you're like Ugh. <laughs> me Kirk Cameron I like your hair, you know? I'm thinking this blind guy, though, I mean, that's the best I can do is Kurt Cameron, but I'm thinking this blind guy, literally from birth, blind, and he hears that Jesus is coming through and he's heard about this man, I wonder if his heart is pounding, if Cottonmouth's coming, if he's going, what am I going to do, what am I going to say, but I got to do something, like I cannot just sit here, <laughs> and as the, we go on in the story, I want to make a point before we go on, this was Jesus' last stop before Jerusalem, Right? But this right here was Bartimaeus' first start. Here's where he found Jesus. Later we find out in church history that Bartimaeus went on to be a strong man in the church in Jerusalem for 17 or 18 years. Strong man working. Jesus, this is like one of his last stops, but it was the beginning of Bartimaeus. And why was it the beginning of Bartimaeus? Look at verse 37. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He thought, I can't, I gotta do something, I gotta do something. Verse 38, he called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. When he calls this out, it's a profound title that he uses. It's a messianic title, son of David. It's identifying Jesus with the royal root from the tribe of Judah, Like this isn't just a casual address to this man. Like this is royalty. And this is how the man cries out. And what does he do? He cries out with uncontrollable passion. He knew he was blind and in perpetual darkness. And he did the only thing he knew what to do. Call out to Jesus. How's your heart? How's your life? What are you going through church right now? Without Jesus, we're in perpetual darkness and blindness. Like, our sin has separated us from the love of God. The end result for us, if we're not calling out to Jesus, is death, is hell, is separation from God. Bartimaeus shows us this that as Christians, we call out, we say, Jesus, son of David. And we call out to him. And look what Jesus does. He does incredible things. Yesterday I was at my grandma's funeral. It was beautiful. My grandpa had passed away two and a half, three years ago. Solid man of God. My grandma, the last two and a half years, had not lived the best years of her life. Major Alzheimer's. Forgot how to chew. Like just devastating. Maybe you've known people in this as well. But as we're at the funeral, it's one of those happy moments. You're like, I'm glad that grandma passed away. I know that she's with Jesus, and I'm, I'm so glad. And as we're literally going through the funeral, right at the very beginning, you know, my grandma wore red colorful hats. She was the hat lady. And so um, she, we had all our hats at the funeral, and people would come in, and the family members, we all marched in, and you know, 10 or 15 people were wearing colorful hats. Even my dad was wearing one of my grandma's hats, like beautiful color, you know, and just a celebration of her life. And we come in, and we sit on the front row, and about two minutes into the funeral, um, half of the lights went out in the sanctuary. like, okay, a little awkward. I was supposed to do a song, so I got up, and luckily I had an acoustic guitar, and I sang it as loud as I could, and we did that, and about two minutes after that, all the lights out went out in the sanctuary. Longmont lost electricity, and this church was dark. You know, outside windows, like it was dark. So quickly, I grabbed my iPhone, and I I gave it to the pastor, and, and we continued on with this service, with an iPhone light. In, in a room full of people, just sitting in dark, the lights completely out. I was thinking of my grandma, even, you know, as, as her mind has been losing and, and slipping away the last couple years, what her reality might have been like. Might have even been like this funeral. But as I'm sitting there in these moments, I'm thinking, this is kind of weird. I don't sit in dark with a lot of people often, but it was a very special moment as The pastor just talked about her, her life and and the legacy that she left and how she knew who God was and it was a special moment in that place but it was a special moment for me because I could say I know the love of Jesus Christ and I know what happens when the lights go out with Aaron Havens but as I was sitting there I was thinking I wonder how many people in here know the love of Jesus Christ. Like the darkness that we were experiencing yesterday pales in comparison to the darkness of someone's eternity and even life here on earth when they don't know the love of Jesus Christ. This blind man knew that he needed to call out to Jesus. He had a lifetime to be reminded he lived in perpetual darkness and he had no control over that. He cries out. What does he cry out? Have mercy on me. In the end of verse 38, have mercy on me. As I was studying this, I came across a commentary, Kent Hughes, and he said this about have mercy on me. Came from a profound self-understanding and it brought grace into his soul. The moment that Bartimaeus realized he had no control of his life and he was living in darkness, it came with profound meaning that all he had to do was call out to Jesus, have mercy on me. And Jesus offered this wonderful thing called grace. He said, I will restore your sight. And he does this to us, church. We're in perpetual darkness, separated from the love of God because we're just not that good. In fact, we deserve death. And Jesus looks at us and we cry out, have mercy on me. He comes in and opens our eyes, the eyes of our heart, eternity and life. Church, are we calling out to Jesus, have mercy on me? Look what the crowd does in verse 39. This is my, um, my quick summary of it. They said, shut up. He was being obnoxious. He wasn't being politically correct. Shut up, Bartimaeus. He would not. He would not. That's the last thing that he wanted to do. This was his last chance. He was calling out to Jesus. In verse 39, verse 40, Jesus stopped. In order the man brought to him when he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. Like, I want to see That wasn't like a Kirk Cameron, I like your hair moment. Like That was like, I want to see, this is what I want. And he asked Jesus, and look what happens. Verse 42, Jesus said to him, Receive your sight, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God when all the people saw it. They also praised God. In verse 42, I think it's very, very important to point this out. The object you place your faith in has made you well. The object you have placed your faith in has made you well. And if you're reading the ESV version, the Greek word for has made you well is sozo, which means safe. Jesus looks at this man and says, it's not your great faith that has made you well. It is that you are looking at me and placing your great faith in me and I have made you well. I have made you safe. I have plucked you from the depths of hell. I have paid the price of all the sin and all the darkness. I have took that that blindness upon myself. I have taken everything away from you. I have made you safe because you have looked at me and you have called out to me and I am God and I love you. Well, what does this man do? He goes crazy, right? Verse 43, he got up. He immediately started praising God. When we confront the reality that our sin is dark and Jesus loves us and overcomes that and gives us his grace, we cannot help but respond with a heart of, of just a gratitude, a heart of thank you, God, thank you. I once was blind, but now I see. I, I used to be in darkness, but now I walk in light. I used to have no hope, but God, you have instilled hope into me. I used to be an empty vessel, but God, you, you chose to fill yourself in me, and you put the love message in me to share to the world at large. Church, we walk in the power of Jesus Christ everywhere we go. When we look at him and we say, have mercy on me, son of David. It's about you and it's not about me. Church, if we are blind, it's because we're not calling out to Jesus. If we walk this earth in pain, it's because we're not calling out to Jesus. If we're suffering, good luck. God says we will suffer. But it's not why are we suffering, but how is God going to use this in our life? I want to, um, if if we could, wrap this up. Just close your Bibles. This is the moment that I pray for more than anything. It's a moment to be real with God. This is a moment to just say, God, speak to me. If you're comfortable with it, just close your eyes and hold your hands out in front of you. Just with your palms up and say, God, I surrender to you. Like, God, I want to hear from you. And even, God, I want to give you all of who I am so you can continue to transform me to be more like you. God, please speak to me in this moment. Jesus is looking at, at all of us today, and as he was teaching the 12 disciples, they just, they just weren't getting it. Like they had a a Savior in mind that wasn't exactly who was in front of them. In our lives, church, do we go to Jesus and say, Jesus, I want to serve you, I want to follow you, as long as you fit my mold and do it my way? Or are we open to the Holy Spirit to teach us and to guide us Some of us were so fixed on our theology and our heritage and our history of church that we've almost shut the Holy Spirit off in our life. You know, we know this thing. Some of us in this moment, we need to just open our heart up and say, God, would your Holy Spirit just teach me and guide me, correct me, rebuke me, love me, encourage me? In this moment, just spend a couple couple moments to yourself just praying, God, Holy Spirit, speak to me. As we look at Bartimaeus in this passage, in his death, in Jesus' death, he has taken on himself the blindness and despair of the world." The disciples could not see it at the time, but the blind man could, and he got it, and he called out to Jesus, and he said, "Son of David, have mercy on me. Will you call out to Jesus this morning?" thank him for what he's done on our behalf just call out to him and say son of David have mercy on me maybe there's things that you're even going through in life right now that are so difficult talk to God about those just put those in your hands say God here it is Like I need guidance I need hope I am suffering so how are you using this suffering to draw me closer to you Just spend a couple moments letting him speak to your heart and encourage you. In this room, there may be people that have never called out to Jesus. So even just in the still of this moment, if God is just prompting in your heart, just say, God, here's my life. I don't even, I don't, I don't know what's, what's moving forward. I don't know what's gonna happen from this point forward, but I just know that life on my own has been empty, it's been dark, it's been full of blindness. And God, it's not working. God, I believe that you're doing something in me i know that i'm not living life the way that i should god i ask you just forgive me of my sin would you make me new would you guide me would you direct me and god here's my life teach me who you are church in light of a passage like this with such beauty and such love i think it's just appropriate that we can stand we can praise god we can say god thank you because i once was blind but now i see someone ask us if we would all of us just stand and continue to worship god in here we can worship God through our, our tithes and offerings in the back. We can give God back what he's given to us and say, God, nothing has control in my life, not even finances, no aspect of my life does. It's just you, everything I have about you and for you. If you have a child in, in Project Kids, you can take uh, your, your tag, and go retrieve your child and come back in here. And I encourage this church just to worship God as a family in this place. Just say, God, it's about you and it's for you. Thank you so much for what you've done in my life. And may I stand all the days of my life and just praise your name.